Welcome into Club and Country, the podcast of record for Nashville SC coverage from the two people who've covered the club longer than anyone in their respective disciplines. I'm Wes Bowling, who covered the club on uh, radio and briefly uh, via the written word in the USL days. And I'm Tim Sullivan, the proprietor of PubCountryUSA.com, where I have less, I'm less brief in my writing, but uh, trying to get back into it on a, on a more full-time basis going into this season. PubCountryUSA.com, the place to go. There was a recent uh, media poll actually conducted by Broadway Sports Media, and they asked folks to name the number one place that they got their Nashville SC news and info. Now, Broadway Sports was number one, which... They even admitted part of that might have been biased by the fact that people were on Broadway uh, voting. So, uh, we were number two uh, and uh, pleased to see that. And Tim, I think when I say we, I primarily mean you and your site is the <laughs> legacy of, of covering the club ever since uh, the MLS announcement uh, back in, I always get the years mixed up, 2017, December of 2017. How are things going? Are you ready for the Wolverines to get it done tonight, as I say, on a podcast where people are going to be listening Tuesday morning? Uh, I, I sure as hell hope so. If not, I'm going to be very sad by the time people are listening to this podcast. <laughs> I got to say, and I was just telling you offline, uh, I'm here in Houston. I'm actually flying out uh, Monday night and have to miss the game, unfortunately, but was here for some, some work slash college football podcast sponsorship business splits on duo. Check it out, folks. If you haven't, um, Michigan fans are everywhere. I'd say it's a 70, 30 split and, uh, it's, it's, it's prominent. They're also louder per person than the Huskies who I think, think they're in a coffee shop at all times. Yeah. It's, it, um, that kind of sounds a lot like I went to the Alamo bowl, the 2005 Alamo bowl, which is Michigan versus Nebraska, uh, somewhat famous ending, uh, to that yeah. one. But, uh, I get, I get to San Antonio with my dad and it's 70, 30 Nebraska fans and every single Nebraska fan is louder than any Michigan fan. It was pretty crazy. Um, it, it actually leveled out on on game day at the game, but uh, I, I would be surprised if that happens for the for the Huskies tonight, uh, well, at least in the in the stands. In a state with three people per mile in Nebraska, they have to shout to be heard through the corner. <laughs> I guess so. That's uh, that's understandable. It has been truly an impressive turnout. Um, had a great time Saturday night at a live podcast event, not related to this one again, but through a podcast, a sponsor for work, Split Zone Duo. And uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun to immerse myself in football as I was following soccer news. And today, Tim, a little bit of a different episode. We'll start with a, a couple of news nuggets, including uh, Nashville's former captain, perhaps going to Nashville's rival, as appears imminent, according to Tom Bogert. Uh, Shaq Moore headed to U.S. Men's National Team camp. And then uh, we're going to get into a little bit of a memory lane episode today, talking about some superlatives from the past. And I figure there are two purposes for this, Tim. Number one, of course, is to serve as a source of nostalgia for folks who have followed the club around you know, the amount of time that we have. Number two uh, would be to educate a little bit, too, to tell folks you know, a little more about the history of the club who maybe haven't been paying attention quite as long. So it should be, should be a lot of fun to talk through things like our favorite season to cover as journalists, uh, the most important win in club history, the worst match, favorite player to cover. Lots of fun topics today. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. Um, it's it's always nice that that our our podcast is growing and, and that Nashville SC's fan base is growing, but uh, maybe a little fan service to those who have been around a little bit longer or, or some information for those who haven't been around since the beginning to, to learn a little bit about the history of the club. Well, before we get into all of it, uh, of course, we are sponsored by ML Rose, uh, ML Rose expanding locations to serve more and more Nashville SC fans. But really, when it comes down to it, we're here to talk 
more than anything else about that 8th Avenue location right down from Jodas Park. And it's time, Tim, only a month and a half out from the start of the season for folks to start building their match day plans. And uh, hopefully that includes a trip to ML Rose, very walkable to and from Jodas Park. Yeah, 14 minutes and 20 seconds. I uh, I should just save the, the picture on my watch so I can hold it up to Wes and all of you people listening can have zero evidence that this is happening. But um, yeah, it's it's basically right around the corner from Geodis Park. You just uh, you 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 walk due west out of the stadium, and you you end up running running into it. Basically, uh, I've done it on multiple occasions. Um, it takes precisely fourteen minutes and twenty seconds each time. Um, and it's something that um, we're so we're not only happy that that a great burger and beer place sponsors us, but that that is one that that is a natural fit for Nashville SC fans to visit. He's being correct, by the way, and he proved it to me. The first time we met up for a beer after a match, I was sitting there. I got there first at the bar, and he walks up, and instead of saying, hi, nice to see you, or what did you think of the match, he just pulled up his phone and held at me. <laughs> it had the timer up, and it was 14 minutes and like 23 seconds. Yeah, and I was like, what is what is this measure? Uh, oh, yep, I got it. So we, that had been a topic of discussion, of course, <laughs> on the show. I was debating, is it 10 minutes? Is it 20? What is it? It is 14 minutes and like 20 seconds. So, uh, yeah. Uh, ML Rose, the place to go. Of course, also locations in West Nashville, Capitol View, Mount Juliet, with more to come. East Nashville, Franklin, a growing business and a great place to get burgers, to get beers, cocktails, uh, and uh, great, great other food as well. So make sure you go to ML Rose. All right, let's get into the early shout and let's talk news. And the first bit of news is a, a big bit of news, Tim, that would have been hard for us to imagine, I think, in the gestational days of, of Nashville SC in Major League Soccer, but here we are. Tom Bogert reporting that uh, a signing of Dax McCarty by Atlanta is uh, probably on the way soon. Nashville's captain going to the ATL. What are your initial impressions of this news? It makes sense for Dax from a personal perspective. He was excited to come to Nashville because it was closer to the southeast where he's from. Um, he's, a, he's an Orlando native. Uh, I can't remember if it's Winter Park or Winter Haven, uh, one of those Orlando suburbs with winter in in the name um um and he was excited about that it's it's getting closer like in atlanta you're you're driving distance from orlando basically it's not around the corner but you can um feasibly do that in one day it makes a lot of personal sense for him i don't know how much sense it makes for atlanta's project they have leaned towards south american players in that in that role um he would probably not be you know an every game starter like he largely has been in nashville but I, th I think the reality is that one of the reasons he's moving along is that he didn't feel he was going to be an every game starter sort of for sort of personnel piece here anymore either. So it makes sense for him from that perspective. If um, if Atlanta is willing to meet his uh, contract uh, length, especially terms more so than monetary terms, that's something that he wasn't really going to get in Nashville. And, and that, I think there's some transparency to the fact that that's, that's among the reasons that he decided not to return. So it makes sense. I hope that there's enough of a role for him to be a, a guy who doesn't go out with a whimper over the next few years, because I do think that there's, there is winning soccer in those legs still as, as, uh, as much as you could start to see a decline. It's not something that, um, you know, prevents him from being a useful player for a good team going forward. No, and I would call it evolution rather than decline. Some athletes try to do the same thing they did when they were 23, when they're 36, and it typically doesn't work. Dax has had, a, he, he's refined his game, I think, to to match his evolving skill set while still, um, I think, using the vision of the field that that has only gotten better with time. And I think this is a great move for Atlanta. I think I, I do see it as long as it is at the appropriate level. I mean, I don't think Dax is going to be eating 
you know, 800 K of the cap here, you know? So, so I think mm -hmm. in, in a responsible cost level, this ends up being a really nice move for Atlanta to bring in a veteran, to give them the kind of stability they frankly not had uh, on and off the pitch. I think this is a project, as you say, that has, you know, falsely relied on boomer bus players. And yet there have been some booms, some huge ones, Miguel Amiron, Joseph Martinez, but for every one of those, there's been a Pity Martinez and Ezekiel Barco, you know, a number of guys who who just really haven't hit. And I think Dax becomes a Michael Parkhurst or a Jeff Laurentiewicz that that I think were probably unheralded guys in the early stages of that build. Unheralded outside so, of that. So uh, red-haired central midfielder. So, yeah, mean. I mean, maybe I'm stereotyping here. Is that <laughs> am I being racist? Is that I don't know. No, uh, no, but, I I but, believe uh, I believe Parky mentioned it on uh, on Twitter. Oh, that's um, great. Or yesterday or, or maybe the day before. Oh, red-haired central midfielder for Atlanta, huh? Sounds pretty good to me. <laughs> They're typecasting. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> Arthur was drawing a blank about who to bring in, and so he typecasted. Oh, rough. Uh, no, I, I think, though, it, it does, he does bring to mind those guys, not just physically, you know, in terms of appearance, but in terms of the stability, the anchor, that then allowed them to go get crazy skill guys, you know, at, at the top of the formation. So I like it for him. I have a question about it, which is that, you know, often Gary Smith would either rest Dax McCarty or bring him off the bench when Nashville played matches on turf uh, mm -hmm. just to to preserve Dax's body. Was that Gary Smith looking out for Dax, even though Dax wanted to go? Was that Dax saying, hey, if I'm going to have to sit for a few minutes, maybe this is the game to do it. Mm -hmm. Now his home games are going to be on turf, uh, good turf, maybe the best turf in the league from what I understand, but turf. And so I have questions about that um, as a very practical matter. One one fact to get a, to get out there though, it is our understanding Nashville did make an offer to Dax yeah. McCarty. They weren't just saying, see ya, get out of here. Obviously, that offer wasn't for whatever reason to the desires of Dax and his camp, which is his right as a as a free agent to to that's perfectly fine. But uh don't think for a second that Nashville is just waving goodbye to Dax and saying good riddance. Yeah. They they made an effort, and obviously parties can differ on whether that effort was sufficient to you know, even be a fair opportunity for Dax, but but there was an offer made there, uh, as our as, as we do understand, as Tim sips from his Michigan coffee mug. <laughs> yeah, and and like I said, it, it doesn't even necessarily mean that the offer was was the wrong amount of money. It could be that Dax wanted a guarantee for more years, and I think that that's it seems pretty realistic that that's what it is. This is a guy who's getting up there in age and wants to be sure that his career is going to continue for for beyond you know the 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 immediate future that you can see, I think that probably makes a lot of sense as to as to what some of the disconnect was with Nashville. Well, it wouldn't surprise me if Nashville did try to squeeze Dax a little bit on the on the financial terms just yeah. to try to to nail down as much of the core as they could. So it wouldn't surprise me if they did say, look, you know, you're you're not the age you were even two years ago when we signed you. Can you come in at a pay cut level? Um I, I wouldn't surprise me if they tried that. And it wouldn't surprise yeah. me then if Dax said, Yeah, Sorry, I can go somewhere else and get my value that I believe, and it looks like he's yeah. doing that. So happy for him. I will. I will ask that question. I got a, a mailbag question from Logan Elliott right here at the start of the show, and he asked, "With Dax going to Atlanta, is there any idea as to what Atlanta offered Dax that Nashville couldn't or wouldn't match?" So, so you're saying perhaps it's maybe a couple years there, whereas Nashville might have gone. Yeah, I mean that away. that that makes the most sense to me. I think you, you know you mentioned that that. Um, if another club is willing to pay him more than Nashville is willing to pay him, he he certainly should go ahead and do that. I think based on where he is in his career, based on what he's been willing to do with salary over the course of his time in Nashville, see, he's been he's gone from a from a guy well above the TAM cutoff to a guy who's who's making just, you know, a, 
a good living um, and, and veteran, a good veteran living, but uh, a, just, just, you know, a guy on a roster. And I, I don't mean that in terms, in terms of what he brings to a roster. I mean, in terms of just what the pay level is, is, is kind of the middle tier of guys who aren't above that Tam cutoff. He's been willing to take those, those payment concessions over the course of his career. It makes a lot more sense for, with a guy that's, that's getting up there in age that he would want guarantees that he's, that he's going to be around as a, as a member of a team uh, for a couple of years longer. That seems to be what would make sense as a priority for him. We've done our Dax McCarty post-mortem already uh, when it seemed he was indeed leaving the club. A few episodes ago, we, we talked about our favorite Dax moments, but any final reflections, Tim, on the kind of player he was to watch and to cover while he was in Nashville? No, he's a great guy. I think the one thing that um, is, is that I uh, really appreciate and that I, we have talked about this in the past is that he's a very honest guy. He's not going to get up in, the, in a press conference, um, especially. Um, obviously, all these guys have maybe maybe two sides of them, the side that's outside of the public. And if you talk to some of them, you know, in a in a non press setting, you get a different um, version of them. But Dax Dax was always Dax in front of the ca- in front of the cameras, in front of the microphone too. He wasn't going to go up there and give you, you know, what you're supposed to say. The, the, he has all the media training you could ever want, but he wasn't going to go up there and say, okay, I'm, now I'm just going to go, you know, both teams played hard. Um, we just didn't have it today. He was going to be honest about what went wrong in a game that went wrong, what went right in a game that went right. Um, he was going to, he was going to talk a little bit of shit if it, if it was, uh, if it was appropriate. And he was a guy that is always going to say what he thought was, was the right thing to say, not the thing that, um, you know, the, the, current sports media ecosystem kind of forces on some of these guys and um i think you know we've been very uh we've been very clear over the years that we appreciate that out of players and and nobody embodied that more than dax yeah he was uh he was we're not, I, it sounded like i was just talking about him like he's dead he is not dead just dead to nashville sc fans if he goes to atlanta <laughs> I, don't, I don't think he will be by the way i think it's going to be a deal where like hey don't don't score against us don't have an assist against us otherwise go go get him go beat orlando right um his hometown team yeah dax was always very calculated about in everything he did working to galvanize his guys and i always enjoyed watching him in training as well because he was the most verbal i think is fair to say and Mm -hmm. you know in one moment he'd be getting after somebody for just a really rough back pass and come on man that's not what we do it's not in, in very frank terms and the next, he'd be picking him up, and he was the first person to scramble over to a goal scorer uh, when when that same player that he might have chewed out in practice three days ago uh, scored a goal. So uh, really appreciate the way he led this club, and uh, wish him uh, absolutely nothing but the best. Uh, and if he happens to to take that Nashville game to to sit or maybe to not score, I'm sure Nashville fans wouldn't be mad. I doubt he'll sit out that game though. That's uh, just a hunch. Yeah. Just a hunch on that. Uh, one other bit of news: Shaq Moore. Invited into the U.S. men's national team at January camp. Walker Zimmerman was not. Uh, takeaways from that. Surprise Walker wasn't. I think that's a function of just resting his body here uh, yeah. or or maybe something else to it. Yeah, that's I mean, Walker was not healthy um, basically at all after the uh, the League's Cup last year. I don't think that was a mystery. He sat as many games, I think, in that stretch as he had in the previous three years at Nashville. Uh, don't uh, nobody go fact check that precisely. I'm, I'm estimating there. But um, yeah, he's he's a guy that uh, has has been a rock for Nashville SC, has been a rock for the United States men's national team. He played um, in every game in the World Cup. Uh, I believe uh, he came off the bench in the one game that he didn't start, if I recall correctly. Uh, don't fact check that either. Uh, not on my game this morning, but he is a guy that um, is, 
is ready for a bit of a break. And when the the stakes are a single friendly, uh, I don't think that it's worth stressing him in preseason. Shaq, on the other hand, is a guy that um, is a few years younger than than Walker and, and maybe not as as crucial to a first choice U.S. men's national team. It's always important to keep in mind that January camp is not for first choice national teamers, essentially. Um, Shaq is a guy that that also played in the World Cup. Um, he wasn't as, as important of a piece, but he also played in the World Cup. And he's a guy that that probably is more in the in the um, you know second choice or you know in the in that twenty three but not in the eleven sort of uh, group and that's somebody that makes more sense for Camp Cupcake. Yeah, and uh, Camp Cupcake, perfect name for it. USA playing Slovenia on Saturday, the twentieth of January. So I almost said Serbia, so I'm glad I uh, I didn't. <laughs> similar sounding names, similar flag yeah. colors. Uh, they aren't so far from each other. You just got a little well, Croatia in the way there. I think regionally they wouldn't appreciate you conflating the two. So just, just a hunch on that based on some history there. So uh, yeah, good, uh, good job. Not, not falling into that pit of uh, Shaq Moore going to be part of, of the Evans uh, national team, a, g- a good chance for him to, I think, to get tuned up for the season a bit early, a guy that, you know, has always been in peak fitness for Nashville, even when he came in mid season in 22, but a chance to get him that much more ready and prepped for CCL in late February. So uh, glad to see he gets that opportunity. Uh, Tim, are you uh, have you ever participated in in Dry January? You ever done done that whole thing? I'm, I'm never uh, I've never officially participated in something like that. I uh, the, the, I have I have uh, had months where I'm like, you know what? Let's take it easy a little bit. Maybe the previous month we we went hard, or or in the the subsequent month we expect to, but never officially participated in such a thing. But I believe I know where you're going with this, Wes. Yeah, I, I think you might as well. And I, I never have. I, I tend to think if I'm going to do that, I'm going to do it in the shortest month of the year, which is February. Uh, <laughs> might be on tap this year. It is a chance to reevaluate and to cut back a little bit, though, even if you're not totally eliminating it. And uh, ML Rose has a wide array of non-alcoholic options. Is that where you thought I was going with this? It is exactly where I thought you were going. Fantastic. I think that is something that is limiting for a lot of people who have intentions of cutting back or eliminating alcohol altogether, whether or not it's an actual problem in your life, whether it's just something you want to do out of, you know, for, for health reasons, like, like both of us, uh, or maybe sanity reasons some months. <laughs> uh, the, the limiting factor is when you go out with friends, right. And they're ordering a beer and you just kind of feel inclined to go with the flow. You can order a beer or another drink at ML Rose that is non-alcoholic. And, uh, you know, there's a, there's a growing market for this, obviously. And a lot of macro uh, brewers are, are making good non-alcoholic options. There's also, you know, CBD infused stuff, THC, Delta. I don't know what the Delta is. Somebody else can tell me. I don't know much about that world. Eight or so. ML Rose has those options uh, so that if you want to go, you want to, you know, either cut back on alcohol, maybe you're cutting back on meat and want to get an impossible patty instead, uh, or you're a vegetarian or vegan, there are options. And Tim, it's another example of MROs going above and beyond to meet the needs of members of their community, uh, whatever those needs may be. Yeah. And I, I have members of my uh, immediate and extended families that that don't drink it, but they want to go out when, when they visit Nashville, they want to go out and they, we want to go out to a nice dinner and um, you know, I'll grab a beer and, and my father-in-law can grab a, an, an A beer. And, and ML Rose is one of the places that, you know, if you go, you can, you can have options that are not uh, drinking pop or what do we say here? Soda? Or is this soda country, Wes? You grew up here. Coke. <laughs> but, it's, everything is a Coke. Everything, okay. So we are, we are, we're close enough to Atlanta that everything is Coke country. Yeah. But yes. uh, yeah, there's, there's options that are, that are 
kind of near beer or they have they have a lot of mocktail options that um, their bartenders can whip up as well. ML Rose um, basically has has, uh, you know, the full suite. It's not just it's not just a uh, non-alcoholic uh, options being fizzy, fizzy sodas or 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 water lemonades things like that it's it's a, a pretty well-rounded suite of things that you can have if you if you're a non-drinker or if you're hanging out with non-drinkers and there's some good stuff out there uh yeah the na beers now i mean i think it started out kind of clumsily a few years ago and now i mean it they, they've refined the taste to where mm-hmm. it, it feels like a good replacement i i happily mm-hmm. do that as somebody who you know drinks but not a lot um in, in on, on a regular week yeah, it's it's a nice substitute that can, can take the place pretty easily you know, if you're again using that Wi-Fi, working from MLROs, want to feel like you're drinking a beer, but have a meeting with your boss and probably don't want to go eight percent, uh, then a nice a nice substitute there as well. Uh, Unless you're very nervous to talk to your boss. <laughs> some, hey, you got to take a load off. We ain't judging. <laughs> we ain't judging. Uh, let's go memory lane now. Let's talk nostalgia a little bit, uh, Tim. It's it's a fun kind of kind of time in the off season where. There's a lot of promise coming up for the season. Uh, there are plenty of roster moves, but this particular week has been a little bit quiet, and so we can look backward just a little bit. So we have uh, four or five questions that that we'll each answer here that, again, can serve as a trip down memory lane for longtime supporters, but also maybe a little education about some key milestones and and memories uh, for those who aren't as, as seasoned in Nashville SC. And there are a lot of you because we continue to grow. So I want to start with kind of a broader question. You know, Nashville SC has been around... Uh, in USL since 2018, they had two years there, 18 and 19, before going into MLS. Of course, four seasons of Major League Soccer starting in 2020. Of those seasons, those six campaigns so far, what was your favorite season to cover this club? I'm going to cheat and say two different ones. Uh, the first one is that that first USL season. It was just such an unreal experience that that Nashville had professional soccer and um, obviously now seeing what what professional soccer has become in Nashville, it, it almost feels like quaint that that was such a big deal to us. But it really was at the time and it yeah. it remains a big deal. And I, I intend no no insult to USL um, in that it's not as big of a deal as MLS on a national scale. But it was it was so novel that the soccer could reach this level after, you know, the PDL and after NPSL um um, versions of this club to see it as a as a true pro club was something that was truly incredible. And then, uh, you know, uh, 2022, that first season with Geodis Park, it probably would have been the first MLS season. Uh, you guys may have heard there was a global pandemic that kind of sent that thing sideways. And then the second season, um, while a little bit more normal, it still felt temporary in Nissan Stadium. Um, 2022, when the stadium, uh, you know, fully opened and, and, and Geodis Park became the home for this club. It was, it was something truly special. And I, I, it remains so as well. Well, uh, we have the exact same answers. Uh, so I'm glad we <laughs> uh, put a rundown in today and prepped. So, so I'll, I'll take another one that I loved because I agree with you. It was so, so virginal in 18, so special, so novel. Seeing Atlanta United take the pitch coming off a championship, I believe, right? From 17. Did they win in 17? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and then coming to first Tennessee Park for no, the no, 17 match. was the 18 was the year that they won. I'm sorry, you're right. Yeah. You're right. Either way, a prominent Atlanta team ended up winning a title that year then. Uh playing at first Tennessee Park with a team that had trained for all of two weeks. Um <laughs> the Nashville team that was just not ready to play and yet held its own, acquitted itself very well. That was surreal. 22 for all the reasons you expressed, plus it was the year that I was on the play-by-play mic for Nashville SC, which was kind of a dream opportunity. And uh, so 
doing that combined with Nashville moving to a new stadium, it was a hell of a year to get that opportunity. And that was really, really special. I'll say 21 was also a really, really cool year to cover the club. Because I think that was the year that we saw the fan base really come to life. And they would have mm-hmm. in 20, as you say. Uh, but they, you know, they were putting 20,000 people regularly at, at, in Nissan Stadium. They had the summer of soccer with like four straight home matches, five, I think five straight home matches mm-hmm. uh, because of the weirdly balanced schedule, balancing, you know, time with the Titans at, at Nissan. And they were like three, one and one in those games and really, really took off. Um, it was also our first year doing this podcast, uh, which, which obviously made it special in a lot of other ways. And so uh, I'll, I'll go 21. It's, it's actually my third place, but again, I can't just copy your two answers. So <laughs> I will, uh, I'll say that. And it's it's when the the volume expanded, the, the volume of people who could come expanded, and it was a it was a really really exciting and fun year. Uh, let's go to an individual match then. Uh, the most important win for Nashville SC in its tenure. Again, we can go all the way back to USL here, wherever you want to take it. Yeah, for me, it's in that that very first season, uh, and it is the very first time that Nashville SC ever scored multiple goals in a game. Uh, it was a 4-2 win against Atlanta United. It really changed what this club kind of felt like. It was, uh, I think, st- it still has a reputation because of those first uh, nine games uh, of scoring one or zero goals that um, that it was going to just be a one one nothing or or one one or or two one sort of club and winning four two against Atlanta United. Um, uh, Dax McCarty header. He seems to be too uh, too adept at that <laughs> to be a guy who's who's five six. But um, you know he's a guy that he's a guy that uh, I believe that that was his first goal for Nashville C. I'm not going to scroll up and, and make sure I have that correct, but. Um, somebody who at that time, and, and again, like we said in the beginning of the show, remains somewhat of the of the lifeblood of this of this club, even if he's gone. Um, that's something that that really kind of set the tone for what Nashville could be. And obviously, um, that was really, I think, what sort of catapulted a, a stronger run in the back half of the year that that led the team making it into the playoffs in its first uh, year as well. Of all the wins Nashville C has had, we were both going to choose the same one. <laughs> I, can, I had another one in mind if you if you want me to switch oh, I've got plenty. Uh, I've got I, I think the 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 5-2 win over Chicago or 5-1 win over Chicago the next year um Hani Mukhtar uh, sets an MLS record for the quickest hat trick from the opening kick of a match um somebody has scored a quicker hat trick uh I don't have his name in front of me so I'm not going to try to pronounce it <laughs> but uh setting a record and that vaulted Hani to um, what was uh, a, a should be MVP season that he then, um, you know, built upon the reputation to win the MVP in 2022. Yeah. I think it was uh, three goals by 18 minutes in that. The 16th, 16th minute was the, Sixth, was the third oh, one. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. There was a red card uh, into one of the, in one of those challenges as well. It was, yeah, that was a route. That was a lot of fun. Um, I, I will, uh, I, I guess I'll go to the playoffs uh in 2020 and, and say that toronto mm-hmm. win in in new haven yeah. like there there are conditions there that make it less impressive perhaps than it would have otherwise been of course playing at a neutral site in front of basically nobody as there were really not fans in 2020 anyway obviously but i think again you expect to beat miami in that first playoff play-in game nashville did another great dax mccarty moment in that one the Toronto match, all of a sudden, it's a it's a two versus seven. There's no expectation outside of of Nashville's training facility, I'm sure, that the boys in gold are going to go win. 
And they outplayed Toronto throughout the match, uh, took it to extra time, scored twice in extra time. Daniel Rios, may he uh, rest in Guadalajara with a, a great capping goal, just tapping it, tapping it in from like a foot out as the exclamation point. And I think that elevated Nashville so early to to new heights. And it also proved that this club could, hasn't to date after that, could follow through on its ideal, which is just get into the playoffs and then see what happens. And they proved they could be a very difficult knockout round team uh, by shelling a terrible and injury-depleted, COVID-depleted Miami team, but then by beating a Toronto team that had a great year and was fresh off an MLS Cup appearance the year before. Uh, so I think that that was very important for this club to seal the expectations of what this club could do. And when fans are rightfully disappointed by 2023 and by much of 2022, I think they're often even subconsciously looking back at that year, that first year and saying, hey, look, this club could do it right away in the first year. You know, why can't they continue to do it? And there are tons of questions there, but I think at least it, it set the it set the expectation and laid the groundwork. All right, let's go to our favorite match. Uh, could be different than most important, I guess. I've actually got a weird one for my favorite match to cover for Nashville SC. What do you have? Yeah, uh, mine is mine is potentially weird as well. It goes back to, oh gosh, I don't even remember if it was 2018 or 2019 at this point, but it was the, it was the last second win, uh, I believe last kick of the game over North Carolina FC. Um, it was a, a, a win that really established Nashville as, as a serious uh, title contending sort of USL club. Um, sort of sort of this, the thing that, uh, you know, my most important selections did for the MLS version. This did for USL and um, the the lovely edits of of the ball flying into the top of the net with my heart will go on playing in the background that the fan base made uh, maybe in slightly more creative days for the fan base. I'm not going to lie here, but um, let's get back to that, folks. Uh, it was it was uh, it was really fun because it it was again, there's there was that novelty of soccer, the novelty of like this is pro soccer and, and some I think some people didn't feel like it, it necessarily was. And that really kind of made it feel like a big event in the city. That's a great one. I think that was the one where the supporters went from really liking this team to falling in love with this team. I think that and it laid the groundwork that was in 18. And then there were three different times in 19 that Nashville scored similar goals in stoppage time or, or close to it to win, to win late. Uh, I want to go back to a loss, actually, for Nashville that was still my favorite to cover, and that's the LAFC loss in 22. Uh, it was Gareth Bale's debut, which which was pretty cool. Um, in in Nashville, he came on and had a, just a beautiful backheel pass just right off the bat that made you say, oh, okay, there's that quality difference. Nashville held its own against LAFC, played a, a really hard match. Um, and LAFC just had the quality to get it done in the end by a goal. But I think it was interesting because Nashville was the the center of the spotlight, the global soccer spotlight that night with Bale coming in, rightly or wrongly. They were in the midst of a bit of a losing skid, but I think it was a sign they were starting to emerge from that, that they played so well against LAFC. Sure enough, then they take down Dallas, they take down Austin in dominant fashion, both of which were among my favorites as well. You think of the the Mukhtar versus Triusi battle in 22 that basically sealed the MVP for for Hani. Um, that one actually is very high on my list as well. But I think that LAFC match, it was a sign of recovery for Nashville. It was also a, a chance to be in the global spotlight. I think our radio call was on Sirius XM nationally that night as well. It was just kind of a fun night where things started to come together for this club, even though they didn't get the result. So of all the weird, crazy, awesome matches, that actually is kind of a sneaky favorite uh, of mine. Uh, worst match that Nashville SC has played? 
Uh, there are two uh, of the of the same match, but one of them ended up with a worse result, which are uh, losses, uh, whether literal or ties that feel like losses at Soldier Field uh, on the shores of Lake Michigan. Um, this year's uh, was a 1-0 loss to the fire, and thus it, it takes the cake for me. Just a match that that Nashville had no business even even like having a competitive game against the Fire, much less losing. Um, it really kind of sent the season the wrong direction toward the end. Here, it was, um, it was actually kind of uh, it was it was too long um, before the um, the League's Cup break to to kind of say, okay, yeah, this is why they this is they were just in a funk and then they snapped out of it for League's Cup. They were better um, but it was a 1-0 loss that that um, they followed up with two more losses to to the union in Cincinnati make a heck of a lot more sense as you lead into the league's cup break there but um, if, if Nashville wins that game against the fire one nothing instead of losing it one nothing I think fans end up feeling pretty different about the way the season finished up and I think actually the team probably ends up playing quite a bit better in those final games after uh, the league's cup break Oh, they went two, three, and five after the League's Cup break. I think you could switch a couple of those losses to draws and a couple of the draws to wins, and the season looks a hell of a lot different. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that that loss to the fire really kind of demoralized the team there. That was brutal. That was the one match that I was brought in to call. Uh, yeah, call it's a, and as a, as a Bears fan, it's cool being in the press box at Soldier Field, but it sucks to watch the team that you cover play like that. Pretty brutal. You selected well there. I, I'll go uh, this year as well. Uh, and uh, I'll say the two nothing loss to Philadelphia at home, uh, Nashville here. The very next game, uh, it was, and it, it started a trend for sure. I think it was the way Nashville lost that match. I don't think there's any shame in losing to Philadelphia anytime, anywhere. Right? Great team, mm-hmm. had a really good season, but earning a couple of red cards there late after going down, uh, it was not a well officiated game as we talked about at the time. Uh, there was not a lot of gray area there. It was just there were a lot of controversial decisions. None of them went Nashville's way. But the red cards mm, were mm, some of them went Nashville's way, but not enough of them. Noel, okay. I mean, the, the big ones did. The big ones yeah. did. And I think it was a match that both both coaches were understandably, you know, yeah. not happy with with the referee. But Dan Lovitz earning a red card of the eighty first. Shaq Moore and Julian Carranza getting into like a Dax McCarty style boxing match. Like nothing serious yeah. here, but you know, a little a little fracas and justifiably earning reds. I think it set the tone for this team losing composure when it got behind. And, you know, for whatever you want to say about Nashville SC in previous years, they always kept their heads. They just couldn't always find ways to win. This year they didn't find ways to win late and they often didn't keep their heads. And uh, two veterans earning red cards in, in the waning moments, I think made that the worst match of the season. And and the worst match, I think, uh, at least that I can think of in Nashville SC history, because it typified what I think was the most frustrating season uh, in Nashville SC history to date. Last question that we're going to get out of here today. We might have the same answer here as well. Favorite player to cover as a member of Nashville SC? Why don't you, why don't you go first so I don't steal yours? I, I'm going to say Taylor Washington. Okay, I, that was going to be one of my answers. I'll go with my okay. other one. Okay, be, because it just number shout, one. Shout out to Taylor's dad for wishing me a happy birthday on LinkedIn. By the he way, he is the man. He is all over. I LinkedIn. love Mark. He, yeah. Mark is fantastic, an awesome guy. Yeah, I mean, Taylor, obviously, I don't need to tell you guys, listeners, that he typifies what this franchise wants to be. He's the only person that dates back to day one of the club's existence. I was looking through old videos, and I have a video interviewing Taylor Washington at training in January of 2018, before the first USL season. It was him, then it was Kosuke, then it was Gary, talking about year one of USL. 
he's just such a genuine human being. I've told the story before that he was calling color commentary for me for a Lipscomb match with me for a Lipscomb match. And he called me three times leading up to the match. I had three missed calls from Taylor. I was really worried. Like, Oh no, he's, he's flaking. Nope. He was desperately trying to ask me if I wanted a, a soft drink or a water from the gas station. And he was stopping on the way in just a good, great dude. And uh, love have loved covering him. Hope he plays for the club for 10 more years. Yeah, and uh, we say this, or I say this, uh, often nice is used as a as an adjective when you can't think of something more um, more meaningful to describe somebody. But Taylor is legitimately one of the nicest people and most thoughtful people I've ever met. But my answer is another that harkens back to USL, but it is Robin Schrute, um, a guy who oh, yeah. didn't ultimately play a ton for the USL club, but another one who's who's a very a very nice dude, but. Uh, what I really liked about covering Robin is he was um, similar to what I already said about Dax, just so thoughtful, so so meaningful in how he would respond to a question that you knew he was actually trying to come up with a, a genuine and and uh, um, demonstrative and 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 you know kind of informative answer to your question. And there were a couple times that I, that I asked Robin a question and it was honestly not too far beyond boilerplate stuff. But he's like, "Hold on a second, let me let me think about this for a few seconds before I answer." And he would just sit there. And then he would answer in, in a very, uh, you know, open way. And he was somebody that we we sometimes forget that these these are are, are human beings that, that that do more than kick a soccer ball uh, for for ninety minutes and on your television set or whatever. And um, th- this is a guy who happens to play soccer rather than a soccer player who happens to to have a life off the field. And that that's always something that I really appreciate out of out of these guys when they're willing to show that side of themselves. Loved Robin. I believe he played for Gary at Stevenage uh, way back in the day, and that's why he was brought in uh, to national. Yeah, and he's now he's now the he's now the the I believe now head coach of a women's club in Norway, if I recall correctly. He spent a lot of time in Scandinavia and yeah. built a good career there. That's awesome. Great blast from the past. Fun throwbacks. Any final thoughts before we uh, send people on their way today? No, I want to really quickly. Um, somebody asked us a mailbag question that we are not going to have time to get to. Thomas Porter. He asked, um, what what Nashville's got left in the in the tank for for roster bill he said uh, how much cap gam roster spots types of roster spots does the team have left is there room for more than league minimum bench signings i'll answer the last question because that's all we have time for which is yes there's there's way there's tons of room for for more than kind of bottom of the barrel signings i'll try and write something up um at some point this week on clubcountryusa.com covering it but yeah there's there's plenty of powder left in the keg so to speak the roster moves to make for Nashville SC. Make sure you visit ML Rose. Go to clubcountryusa.com. Thanks to 440 Sports for the microphone. Moon Taxi for the music. We'll talk to you again next week. Yeah.